Hey, read with me Judges chapter 6, a few verses, and let's see what happens. Now, those of you who've been studying with us know that last week we saw a video over, overflowing, overflowing, going over Judges 6 and 7. And it was about a 27-minute teaching from Israel, and it wasn't necessarily exhaustive or in-depth. And so we're going to go through comb by comb, verse by verse, and get out as much as we can of these verses. If you were here two weeks ago or three weeks ago, you remember that we studied verses 1 and 2. But this is now the sixth or fifth judge of Israel that God has raised up to deliver the children of Israel, listen, in their time of need. Because God knows when your ship is going down. He knows when things are breaking apart. He knows when you're suffering, and he always will raise up a deliverer for you, a friend, his spirit, his word. He will provide for you what you need, and he does just that in the time of need for the children of Israel. We're going to get to the good stuff in a couple weeks. But we want to study what in the world happened to the children of Israel again. How did they get back into this sin cycle. Maybe you've been seeing this in your own life as you've been walking with the Lord, that there's times of exuberation and connection with the Lord. You're pumped on him, dedicated to him, walking alongside of him. Woo! It's a great day. Everyone say, woo! Okay, it's a great day. And then eventually, inevitably, you're wooed. You're distracted. You're detoured by some sin or some temptation. And maybe it doesn't take you too far, but it takes your attention or takes your joy. Or maybe you bite on that hook and it takes you for a ride and your sin then takes you down for a season. And then in that season, you finally get to the end of that road and you say, Lord, help me. And what does the Lord do? He helps you. He delivers you time and time again. What I want to do today is hopefully help us to reduce that sin cycle and its activity in our lives and the time we spend away from the Lord and then prevent the sin cycle and the detour of distraction that so easily takes us down as we develop some of the thoughts that God's going to show to us in Judges chapter six. So let's read and set the scene. It says in verse six, then, I've got that circled, highlighted, and underlined, then, because then is in context. When is then? After 40 years of freedom, 40 years of complacency, 40 years of easy living, the easy road, and 40 years of easy living, complacency, and prosperity. Listen, without a balance of purpose, without a balance of discipline, without a balance of plans, will lead to sin and distraction apathy and lethargy every single time. I want prosperity. I want fullness. I want health. I want easy days. But God has designed the world we live in to be balanced with disciplines, with purpose, and with plan. Then it says in verse one, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. Stop right there, eyes up here. We won't see the evil displayed until a couple verses later. When Gideon is instructed to go to his dad's house and to cut down the pagan altars that his dad had erected in his own front yard. And then the people of the city come after his dad say, who cut down these things? The whole city had been given over to idolatry and worship of pagan gods and sexual immorality. That's not detailed, but we know it from the study. They've given themselves over to godless ways. These are God's kids, by the way, the children of Israel. They're living in a pagan land that God had given to them. It's called the promised land, the land of Canaan. But you who've been studying the book of Joshua and Judges with us know this, that they failed to get out all of the Midianites and all the Canaanites and all the Amorites and all the flashlights and all the websites and all the Snow Whites. They forgot to get them out. And now they're finding repercussions because when you make just a little bit of provision for your sin to fulfill its lust, when you do that, it brings destruction every single time. 
There's no way around it. And so we're studying their story because isn't it fun to learn from somebody else's mistakes? Say amen. Isn't it fun to watch? We love YouTube. We love the news because we're never on it. It's, It's their fault. They're learning. We learn from them. So this is what's happening. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel made for themselves the dens and the caves and the strongholds which are in the mountains. It's a sad day. This is the children of God. Let me ask you a pop quiz. In the promised land, were the children of Israel broke or rich? What do you guys think? When they left Egypt, they took all of the Egyptian gold. They took everything with them. The children of Israel were rich and they were blessed and they were promised and they were valued. They were a peculiar people. What's it say in verse two? They're living in dens, in caves, in strongholds. This is the ramifications and repercussions of sin and rebellion that even though we're God's kids, even though we're rich, even though we're blessed, we find ourselves living in spiritual poverty from time to time. We find ourselves living, having been ripped off by God's perfect will for our lives. And we learn from these guys why we want to do the right thing and not the wrong thing. And they made for themselves these homes. Look at verse 3. So it was whenever Israel had sown, that is when they'd grown their harvest, Midianites would come up, also Amalekites, and the people of the east would come up from them. So now everyone's against them. And they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor oxen, nor donkey, And for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and they would enter the land to destroy it. Stop right there, eyes up here. Just a little side note. The Midianites were the first people group that we know of to weaponize camels. They were the first ones to put camels into their weaponry. Have you ever been on a camel? Raise your hand if you're a camel rider, little camel rider, camel back. Yeah, camel. Raise your hand if you ever smoked a camel. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways. (laughs) Making sure you're still listening. Making sure you're still listening. I've ridden a camel. Camels make horses look like midgets. Camels are huge. Can you imagine a camel with a warrior coming after you? And they're pretty mobile and agile in military battles. Well, the Midianites had so many camels. There were as many as they were at the sands of the sea. Innumerable. Now, we learned earlier with Sisera, he didn't have camels, but he had uh, chariots of iron. And God defeated the chariots of iron, this battle of the mind guy. Well, anyways, the Midianites are no good. They're bad guys. And it says in verse 5, I'm sure I already read that, that uh, they would come and destroy their tents as numerous as locusts. Look at verse 6. So Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites that the Lord sent a prophet to the children of Israel who said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought you out of Egypt and I brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all who oppressed you. And I drove them out before you and gave you their land. Also, I said to you, I am the Lord, your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. This prophet is waxing eloquently of all the promises and goodness of God. And he ends with this as his ending of his message. But you have not obeyed my voice. You didn't listen. You didn't receive all the goodness of God. You just didn't do the next right thing. You didn't trust him. You didn't show up when he called you. And it's so, so simple. If you trace every pain in your life and every difficulty and every detour, it simply comes back to you just didn't obey God's voice. 
You simply just didn't do what he said to do. Is this not so simple for you? Every problem I have right now is not outside of me. It's inside of me. It's my obedience to the Lord. And yet we see here, who are they blaming? The Midianites. Lord, they cry out to the Lord after seven years. Lord, the Midianites are bothering us. That's M-I-D-I-A-N. You know, they're spelling it out. And the Lord sends to him a prophet and says, hey, let me break this down for you. <laughs> I delivered you out of Egypt. That was awesome. And I caused all those against you to fail. And I gave to you everything you need. And I promised I'll be with you. But you have not obeyed my voice. It's so simple. And this is after a 40-year cycle. We saw here that there was peace in the land for 40 years. Isn't it interesting that it takes just one generation for a complete people group to fall away? Just one generation. If moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, guardians and leaders don't raise up the next generation, it's just one generation from chaos, atrophy, and rebellion and falling away from the Lord. This is an exhortation, by the way, to all of you moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and leaders right now to raise up the next generation, to volunteer to teach Sunday school at South Beach Church. You should be volunteering to teach Sunday school at South Beach Church, that the kids would have leaders and teachers that pray for them and love them. You should be volunteering at the schools in Lincoln County, South Beach Christian School and all the public schools and going in. You should be volunteering to coach and to lead and to influence your kids and other people's kids and to pray for them to raise up the next generation. Yesterday, I was, as I mentioned, in Bozeman, and I was hanging out with some friends over there, Jordan Lewis and Becca Skirvin. Becca's from Lincoln City, and Jordan's from Newport, and they're in their 20s, maybe 21. They're gonna get married in 13 days from now. They're in Montana, and, and I was just listening to their story, their testimony of how they got saved and how they were raised up, and God lit their fires here at South Beach Church and now planted them at a church over there in Montana. And their church is on fire, and Becca was talking about the church, and there's 120 people that go to their young adult group man. People are fired up. And she was using words like everyone's running hard for the Lord and they're all in and their hearts are soft and God's doing something in Bozeman, Montana. Isn't that awesome? Praise the Lord. And I began to say, Lord, thank you, Jesus. Keep doing that in your churches. Keep doing that all around us because it doesn't take long for one generation to fall off into the next. Keep praying for your kids. Love on, pray for other kids. Pray that God would bless our youth group and Pastor Rory and Pastor Adams. He leads the young adult group and all the next generation. Guys, let's study this out and get some principles under our own belts as well. It says, then the children of Israel, verse one, did evil in the sight of the Lord. And again, I've already expressed, this came at a time of, of prosperity and ease and comfort and blessing that they had. And it ultimately ended in rebellion and sin. It's kind of like going to a beautiful campfire. You ever been at a beautiful campfire before? A bonfire, so awesome. Flames are warm. Everything's bright. Smoke's going up. But if that flame is not tended, if it's not stoked, if it's not cared for, it will burn down. Flames will diminish. The heat will cease. And then it will just become a smoking mess. Have you seen this before? Because smoke and fire and all these things that God's given to us need to be stewarded and energized with disciplines, purpose, and plan. We've seen this cycle repeated in our own lives as we're on fire for the Lord. And then if we don't steward that fire, things can get out of control and we find ourselves in this cycle. Now, if you're a note taker, and I hope you are, if you're not, that's okay. You can become one today. There's notebooks in the back of your chair and pens there. You can write some stuff down. Okay. In times of peace, you have to have a plan. Write that down. 
in times of prosperity, you got lots of money coming in, get your stimulus check or your tax return. Things are going good physiologically for your body. Times of peace, just got married. Things are awesome. You have to have a plan during times of peace. Otherwise, that time of peace will expire and the things you failed to do in that time of peace, you will then pay for in the time when that peace has run out. Let me use the Proverbs to illustrate this. Proverbs 29, 18 says it this way. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. Where there's no revelation, where there's no vision, where there's no purpose or plan or discipline in your life, you know what we do? We just cast off restraint. When you don't know what to do, you usually do the wrong thing, amen? You guys here with me? Everyone okay? When you don't know what to do, you do the wrong thing, but when you know what to do, you do the right thing. Stoke the fire. Have a plan. Have purpose for your life. I love prosperity and ease. They had a victory in their life. Everything's going great, but they began to then become lazy in their allegiance to the Lord because they cast it off restraint. But the Bible says in Proverbs 29, 18, happy is he who keeps the law. I want to kind of exploit that just for a minute. We tend to think that rules and disciplines and laws are binding and restricting, don't we? More rules and more disciplines and more, more things in our life is just holding us back. We tend to think that naturally. The reality is discipline equals freedom. Jocko Willings, he was in the video last week, the guy that had that good, you know, kind of thing. He wrote a book called Discipline Equals Freedom. That when you do the thing you're supposed to do at the front end, you're going to have all the freedom you want moving forward. But when you fail to do the thing you are supposed to do at the front end, you're going to pay for it in the end of your life, in the middle of your life, because the Bible says, happy is he who keeps the law. Now, again, we are rebellious. We don't like the law. When you see a sign that says wet paint, don't touch, what do you do? You just want to see how wet it is. You know, I don't know. It can't be that wet. You know, you touch it. You see grass that says, do not walk on. You're like, you mean like this? You know, maybe you're not as rebellious as I am. I'm a rebel. I want to test the waters and see. And the Lord says, careful. That's your rebel nature, Luke. That's going to burn you. It's kind of like when you're toddler, you're raising little kids and your toddler asks you for something like, hey, can I ride my scooter on Highway 101, you know? And you're like, no. And your toddler thinks you're a jerk. Oh, why can't I? And as a good parent, you say, no, no, you can't ride your scooter on Highway 101. Highway 20, different story, different story. You can do that. No, kidding. But it's actually loving and kind to say no and to give discipline and direction for the people that we love. I want you guys to memorize this verse with me. It's 1 John 5, 3. It says, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Even if you don't memorize the scripture, memorize the principle. The commandments of the Lord, what he says to do and not to do, they're not burdensome. They're a blessing. What God says to do and he says not to do will bless you. When we dabble and when we break the rules and when we explore and when we experiment what God has forbidden, we find ourselves being burdened. See, the lie of the enemy right now is, is if you do it, the world says. If you do it, your heart wants. That's where true freedom lies. And the, bur- the commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. You know what is burdensome? Being shackled by your sins. Being condemned by your actions. Being haunted by your past choices. That's burdensome. And so when the Lord says, watch out for Highway 101, watch out for Highway 20 on your scooter, watch out for all of these things, don't worship false gods, don't go the way of the world, don't be pagan, don't be carnal, don't follow your heart, your heart's wicked. He does this because he loves you and he loves me. And this is true, by the way, in every area of our life. Did you know that every area in our life has been designed, listen, to respond well to discipline, purpose, and planning? Every single area, diet, 
finances, relationships, spirituality, everything. Let me just kind of unpack this for you. I think this is going to help you moving forward. Let's talk about our diet, for example. We love to eat here as Americans. We, actually, everyone loves to eat, but we love to eat. And let me just say this, though. Nobody gets out of shape in one weekend. Nobody gets out of shape or loses control of their body over just a few bad choices and a few bad decisions, but it is a lifestyle in a season of complacency and a season of prosperity where you can pretty much eat and do whatever you want. Listen, until you can't. Remember when you were younger and you could eat whatever you wanted and it didn't have any impact on your life? Remember that? That was so awesome. And then all of a sudden you get older. Have you ever seen a, let me just, let me just close my eyes because I don't want to look at anybody. Trying to be nice here. In 40 years, they found themselves drifting into complacency, into apathy, spiritually. It doesn't take long for a 40-year-old person to find themselves, what happened to my life? Where were the choices that I made bad? And by the way, sometimes people come to me because I work out a lot, and they say, hey, Luke, what do you eat? What's your physical fitness you know, tips, and what's your dietary tips? I'm the last person in the entire world to ask about dietary tips. I'm the biggest hypocrite in this church right now. On Thursday, we were at the Maui airport, me and my family, and we had Burger King, five burgers, five fries, and a couple of Cokes, $90, $90, okay? It was the best burgers ever, you know? And, and then that was in Maui, and then we had pizza for dinner on, on Thursday night, and on Friday morning, I had Starbucks for breakfast, and on, on, on Thursday, Friday afternoon, I had Wendy's, and then I had Taco Bell, and then the next day, I had Starbucks again, and then I had a, a Frosty at, what's the other place? No, Frosty at Wendy's, and then I went to Arby's, that was really good, and then at the end, I had Chick-fil-A, and this is how I, I am a grease monster right now. It's out of control. I would like to report, though, that the Jamocha from Arby's and the Frosty from Wendy's and the strawberry milkshake from Chick-fil-A are all in my top five favorites of milkshakes, but the Frosty hit so hard. It was so good there in Montana. Anyways, oh, are you guys learning anything today? Let's get on track here. It's true, though. If you don't have purpose, if you don't have a plan, if you don't have discipline, okay, you're not going to accomplish the goals you want in your dietary uh, goals. It's just not going to happen. And we wonder what happened. How did I get out of shape? How did I get out of control? This happens in your finances as well. People live from paycheck to paycheck, buying things you don't need, not waiting until you can afford what you want, relying on your credit cards in debt, and then we find ourselves struggling. Your carburetor needs repair, hot water heater breaks, a tooth falls out, and you go into deeper debt because we're not making plans, purposes, and disciplines moving forward. This also happens in relationships because we have a tendency to take each other for granted, don't we? Until it's too late, until that friend stops texting you back or stops showing, what happened, where'd you go? Well, you weren't investing in me. You took, took me for granted. There wasn't a purpose or a discipline or a plan with our relationship. So many things can spin out of control, and this happens spiritually as well. Your walk with God will fall into apathy and into the ditch of compromise, I promise you, unless it's stewarded and stoked and cared for. This is why we have Sunday gatherings. You guys are here right now preaching to the choir. You guys came to church on Sunday to get fed, to get encouraged, to get inspired, to get equipped for the work of the ministry. Amen? This is why you're here. This is why you have life groups. This is why you have accountability partners. This is why we have the Forest More groups to come together. This is why we have the 5x5 five five reading program. This is why we have mission trips. This is why we do all that we do and have concerts and bring people out so that way we don't get lukewarm, so we don't get spiritually carnal and spiritually out of shape. 
You need to stay engaged. Listen, especially in times of complacency or times of blessed. We're not meant to have easy days, listen, without discipline, plans, and purpose. It will eventually catch up with you. Take any one of those areas of your life for granted and it will fall apart. I promise you this. Matter of fact, it's 4th of July. Our country is founded on freedom. Amen. Everyone like the freedoms we have? And there's so much freedoms in our country. Our country's like, you guys can do whatever you want. Like within reason, but whatever you want. Even if it's wrong, you can do it. Like we've, we've, uh, we've legislated wrong things, sinful things. It's okay. We can't tell you not to do it because we've made our constitution. Let me read to you John Adams. He's one of our founding fathers. He said this about our constitution, which guarantees liberty and freedoms to everyone in our country, which I say yes and amen. Here's what John Adams said, though. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Did you hear that? I want to be free. Okay, well, the only way you can have freedoms is if you're moral and religious. Those are the words he used. Is if you're connected to a greater authority. You aren't the highest authority in your life. Amen? You've got to ask God, what does you want me to do for my, my relationships or my finances or my diet or my spirituality? And so what does the Lord do? Guys, read this with me and hopefully may you find yourself saying, Lord, your commandments are not burdensome. I want your will above my own carnal nature. And you might pull it off and get away with it for 40 years and then find yourself asking questions like, why don't I have any friends? Why don't I have any money? Why am I out of shape? Why am I spiritually stale? What's happened? And the principles of the Lord are not breakable. They don't respect anyone. They're for everyone. And if you do what God says to do, you're gonna get what God says you're going to get. And if you don't pay attention to what you need to do in times of prosperity and blessing, you'll end up paying for what you failed to do. God has systems of success for every area of life, of our lives that matter, and it's all found in trusting and obeying in what he said in his word. Guys, look at what the Lord does. And this, is the, this isn't the fun part. Okay, this is they're in trouble. How did they get here? We would be remiss to not ask the question, why are they doing this again? How can I avoid it? Read it with me in verse one. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. By the way, I, I, I haven't read it yet. I just got to, just in case you're confused. The verse right before that says, so the land had rest for 40 years. 40 years. 40 years of just stimulus checks and bonuses and freedom and casting off restraint, doing whatever they wanted to do, and they found themselves drifting. What does the Lord do in response? Look in the middle of verse one. So the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. Now let's just settle into this. Aren't you glad we have a good father in heaven who disciplines his kids when we get out of line? Aren't you glad for this? The Bible actually says that if moms and dads on planet earth don't discipline their babies and their toddlers and their little kids, it's because they hate them. Let me actually say that differently. It says by not disciplining your kids, you're exemplifying hate towards your kids. That's the Proverbs say. Now, isn't that harsh? Isn't that kind of harsh? See kids running around and parents not doing anything about it. Why is that happening? Well, the Parents have failed to understand that if that doesn't get corrected now, it's going to lead to greater offenses later in their life. We need to be disciplined. I pray this often, Lord, thank you for this, thank you for that, and Lord, you bless us, and as we go on, Lord, keep me on a short leash, amen. How many of you guys pray that prayer from time to time? Lord, don't let me get too weird. Keep me on a short leash. If I have too much rope, man, I'll have so much rope, I'll hang myself, I'll get way out there. Lord, pull me back into your fold. I'm the 99, I'm the one that leaves and the Lord has to come get me. 
And the Lord says, I'm going to raise up the Midianites to discipline my kids because he's a loving God. How many of you guys got disciplined when you were a kid? Raise your hand if you got the wooden spoon. Wooden spoon? Nice. There we go. Let's go. Wooden spoon. That's my people. My parents are right here. Love you guys. Love you guys. Man, I got stories. I got memories of the wooden spoon, you know. Didn't happen very often because the wooden spoon teaches you stuff. You realize if you touch what's forbidden, the spoon's going to touch what's hurting, you know what I'm saying? And let me say this spiritually. If you feel right now, I want to be sensitive that the Lord has a wooden spoon out in your life. He's raised up a Midianite in your life. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's spiritual. Okay, don't, don't misinterpret that. That is God's grace in your life. He loves you so much. He loves you so much that he will discipline you. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that discipline is not fun. It just isn't. The Bible actually says that sin is fun for a season, but then comes the fruit, which is death. But the Bible says discipline, when God disciplines you and he gets your attention and your marriage struggles or falls apart or your health struggles and falls apart or your finances struggle and fall apart or your spirituality struggles and falls apart and the Lord's right there to catch you and to discipline you, to disciple you. You don't need to raise your hands, but how many of you guys want to be a disciple? You want to be discipled. Okay, it's the same root word of discipline. And the Lord says, I love you so much. My eye is on my kids. I know where they're at. I know what they need. And the Lord will raise up for you a wooden spoon if necessary because he loves you and he knows that it's going to produce a fruit of righteousness. By the way, if you're feeling the discipline of the Lord in some way right now, okay, it's proof that you're his kid. I'll say it so simply. If you're getting away with your sin right now, nobody knows. You don't feel the conviction of the Lord. You're just getting away with it. It could be, it could be, it might be that you're not a child of the Lord. You're not, you're not his. Just like I don't spend a lot of time disciplining kids that aren't my own. I've got three kids. Man, they take all the time I have. You know what I'm saying? I'm not gonna discipline your kids. They're not my kids, but my kids, they're gonna get my full undivided dad attention. Those are my kids. They're my responsibility. So too, you are God's responsibility and he loves you. Disciplining your kids is good and when God disciplines you, it is also good. Here's four reasons why discipline is good, okay? Number one, you don't get to do whatever you want. It teaches us that. You don't just get to do whatever you want. Right now, our culture literally says you can do whatever you want. What do you feel? How old are you? Doesn't matter. What do you feel? How you raised? Doesn't matter. Come talk to this guy. Go join that camp. However you feel, we will find somebody to validate that and to affirm it. You can do whatever you want. And the Bible says you can't just do whatever you want. And discipline, when the Lord disciplines you, you learn this lesson. Number two, you learn from discipline, you're not the highest authority. Again, we have lost our minds as a culture. We do not respect authority. We do not respect those above us. We are the highest authority. And the Bible says, no, you're not. And when you teach your kids this humility and respect to God first and to the people above them, that's theology 101. You are not the highest authority. Number three, when you get disciplined, you learn that it's good to obey and do what's right. There's rewards. You get blessed when you do the right thing. Amen? Someone say amen. You get blessed when you do the right thing. There's rewards to obedience. Sometimes we get deceived by the devil. He says there's no benefit to getting up early and reading your word. There's no benefit to being kind and nice to other people. There's no benefit to being a steward over your finances or your time or your heavenly temple. And we don't realize, yeah, there is. There's blessings to those things, principles that God has put. You get blessings. And fourthly, you learn after discipline that there are consequences to your actions. A little swat from a thing done wrong will teach you don't do that thing again. Amen? Discipline's not bad. God raised up the Midianites to be over the children of Israel. Notice it was for seven years. Is that a long time or a little time? 
It's a long time. For seven years, they waited to cry out to the Lord. Seven years, they wrestled with justification of their actions. Seven years, they lived in dens and caves. Isn't this crazy? Have you ever seen somebody struggling with sin or rebellion or carnality or worldliness and their whole lives are falling apart? It's as if they're living in dens and caves and strongholds far from the Lord. And one year goes by, two years goes by, three years, a decade goes by until finally they come to themselves and say, what am I doing? Discipline helps us to pay attention to what God wants. But the deceitfulness of sin, as a matter of fact, let me just share this verse with you. Because sin, actually look at verse two. Let's read this together. It says, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. It's just recalling their history. They rebelled against the Lord. They got soft after 40 years, found themselves being pagan idolaters. And God says, okay, if you want to have the world, guess what I'm going to give you? The world. If you want to serve the world, the world's going to be your king. That's how it's going to go for you. And they found themselves now impoverished, in debt, living in kings, in, or living in dens and caves, and oppressed in this way. How did this happen? Because the Midianites prevailed against them. Know this principally. By now, you should have it memorized. Sin will cost you more than you're ready to pay, take you further than you wanted to go, and keep you longer than you were prepared to stay. Every single time. And we tend to negotiate with a little compromise here and a little bit of this there. It won't bother me. It won't produce that. There's no way. Every single time, further, longer, and more. The Midianites prevailed against them. And God did this out of his mercy and grace to get their attention. Here's the problem with sin, though. And sin is so sneaky. Check this verse out. This is Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. The writer to the Hebrews says, beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If anyone here is struggling right now with sin, it's because your heart has been hardened and you've been deceived. And yet, what does it say, brothers and sisters? Encourage each other. You don't need to raise your hands, but do you have an encourager in your life? It's always texting you verses and kind of calling you out on your attitude because they love you, helping you out. I mean, I hope you have that person in your life. But let me say this also. I hope you can be that person to somebody else, to your spouse, to your kids. The Bible says that we have the power of life and death in our tongue. You can either produce life every single text, every single thing you say, or, or you can tear people down. It's, it's, it's your choice, and it's so easy Sometimes I think it's exhausting to build other people up. It's like, oh man, I gotta tell this person God loves them. God loves you, you know what I'm saying? I was on this flight going to Montana, I think yesterday or maybe the day before, I can't remember, and I sat next to this guy and I really wanted to be kind to him and nice and I had only gotten two hours of sleep in the last like 24 hours or 36 hours or something and I just looked at him and like said a few things and I, I, I couldn't do it, it was so exhausting and I slept. Anyway, God will give you the power to bless people and to encourage people. Exhort one another to not be deceived by sin. Here's the problem with sin. It blinds us to our actions. It blinds us to what we're actually dealing with and dabbling in. We think it's okay. We compare ourselves to somebody else who's worse. We compare ourselves to how bad we could be. We compare ourselves to how bad we've been. And we get deceived in this way. Sin also deceives us. Sometimes you can find yourself walking in a hardness of heart or rebellion because you think you, you, you owe it to yourself. You ever get there? We call this the victim mentality. Well, it's pretty hard pretty hard to be me, you know, things are pretty tough. 
I gotta do a little bit of this because it's hard to be me. And we, we, we get entitled through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin also, it changes you. It rewires your brain, rewires your whole body. Did you know that the Bible says, don't be conformed, changed to this world, but be, what's the other word? Transformed. Transformers more than me. Transformed by the renewing of your mind. I was in uh, this coffee house, I think yesterday morning, and I was freaking out. 6,000 foot elevation. I didn't know what was going on. And I was at this coffee house and it was so cool. I was reading my Bible, putting together this service. I was, I was blessed yesterday to oversee the memorial for Robbie Knievel, a stuntman, Evil Knievel's son. He died in January. And so flew out to Montana to oversee the memorial. And as I was at this coffee house, I saw these two young guys sitting there reading their Bibles as well. And I was just so encouraged. And I was reading the Bible I was reading actually wasn't this one. It was a different Bible. It was actually Evil Knievel's Bible that Robbie Knievel had given to him. And I used that Bible to preach at his service service yesterday. It was so cool. And as I saw their Bible, I walked over to these guys and I was encouraging. I said, what are you reading? They thought, you know, Genesis, you know, sir, you know. And I just exhorted them in the Lord. I said, here's the deal. I feel crazy right now for so many reasons. I said, I need you both. Colby and Landry was their name. I need you guys to pray for me right now because I'm out of my mind. And I remember they prayed for me. It was so powerful. But listen, as he was praying, the Lord convicted me. He said, Luke, what have you been doing? So I'm over getting ready to preach at Robbie Knievel's memorial. And I was reading all the verses that he had underlined in Romans chapter 8 and Romans chapter 10. And he said, that's cool. Good, good job. Do you believe those verses, Luke? I said, I do. I do believe those verses. He said, okay, well then receive it. Receive it and, have, and be transformed right now, Luke. Be transformed through the renewing of your mind. Don't just be a hearer only of the word. Be a doer. Believe it. It's all there. The promises of God are yes and amen. You can do this. You can get over the thing that's holding you back right now through God's transformational power. Stop dabbling in sin. Stop messing around with the world. Stop compromising. It's going to cost you eventually. Today's the day to say, Lord, what Midianite have you raised up in my life to get my attention? Forgive me of my sins or transform me. If I'm deceived in any way, Lord, have your way. If I'm living in a cave, living in a den, how humiliating would this have been? The children of Israel, rich, blessed, chosen, cho- chosen, chosen, a peculiar people of God. They're living in caves and in dens because they've given themselves over to worldly living. I asked this question last week. I said, have you guys ever seen somebody who's completely given themselves over to the ways of the world, to sinfulness? I mean, just completely. Maybe it's a, 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 a substance abuse, drugs, or meth, or, or alcoholism. Where they, just, they go all in, and they are just, they're, they're a mess. We've all seen this before. They are a total wreck. And the reality is the children of Israel are living in dens and caves. This is normal. Is this normal? No, it's not normal. That's not what God intends for his children to live this way. He's intended you to be rich and to be peculiar, rich spiritually, to be blessed and set free. Take that inventory right now of your life. Do, do you feel like that representation of God's child? Why not? Why so? Stoke the fire. God's raised up the Midianites. Look at this. Let's just read a few more because we're going to run out of time here and I got to finish the chapter. Just kidding. So, <laughs> that's so funny. So it was, verse three, whenever Israel had sown, that is they're working hard, Midianites would come up, also the Amalekites and the people from the east, they would come up against them and then they would encamp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep nor ox nor donkey, for they would come up from their livestock and their tents, coming in as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number and they would enter the land to destroy it. Guys, notice it mentions all the way to Gaza. 
that this would happen. They're on the northern side by the Jordan River. Gaza's on the west coast. This means all of Israel was plagued. It was all going under. Everyone had given themselves over to compromise in this 40 years of non-purposeful, non-disciplined, non-planning living. And so what, God, what does God do? He raises up some Midianites, some Amalekites, and all the people of the east to come and take what they were growing for themselves so they came to a place of impoverishment where they would give their attention to the Lord and cry out to him. Because when the Lord slowly starts to take things away from you, your freedoms and your health and your peace, we tend to think we're being disciplined. Listen, and we are. But it's not by way of punishment. It's not punitive. This is important. Did you know that when you're in trouble with the Lord, he doesn't punish you? Because Jesus bore your punishment. You're a child of God. Jesus bore your shame. He did. He raises up difficulties in your life, not in a punitive way to punish you, listen, but in a restorative way to deliver you. He loves you so much. He wants you to walk in freedom. He wants you like the prodigal son who's eating pig food and feeding pigs and had wasted his dad's money to come to himself and to run home. And the prodigal dad, when he saw his prodigal son, took off his robe and said, man, you stink, you know, and covered his boy with his robe, took his ring off of authority, put it on his hand, fatted the calf, slayed the fatted calf. He took the calf, fed his son who had been eating pig food. This is how God looks at you when you repent. The Bible actually says that when one sinner repents, all of heaven throws a party. They get fired up. God's love for you. And he loves to get our attention one way or another. Maybe you've been praying for help. Maybe you've been praying for God to deliver you and help you to get your life right. I remember when I was in Minnesota, I've shared this story before. I lived there with my parents as a little kid, and I, I found some bad friends. All of my friends were bad kids, and they were the worst kids in the neighborhood, and they were just right across the street. And so they influenced me in a, in a negative way, and I found myself uh, doing nefarious things as a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old, and I developed a potty mouth. You guys remember when you were a kid, and I had this potty mouth, and I remember I'd just have, I'd cuss like a sailor. I didn't even know what a sailor was, but I was like, man, I cussed. And I would go to the park, and I would, we would have contests to see who would have the worst potty mouth. It was bad news. And I remember I'd go home every single night. My parents had no idea this was happening. I'd go home every single night. And I was wrecked as a little kid. And I'd pray, Lord, forgive me and help me. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'll go to bed. And this happened for months and possibly years until one day I was with my best friend, JD, J. Derek. He was on the back of my bike with the pegs at the wheel covers there. We were riding and we went by these other neighbor kids that weren't our friends. They were bad kids too. And we were throwing rocks at them. They were throwing rocks at us. And one kid threw this rock and hit my bike. And I remember I turned around and I called him the worst name I could come up with. You! And I said it. And when I turned around riding my bike, right there in front of me was my dad. <laughs> and he was riding his bike. I didn't even know he had a bike. <laughs> How'd you get out of the house, dad? You know, I was so shocked. What are you doing here? And there you are. My, <laughs> my dad looked at me and he said, what did you call him? And so I repeated it. I called him uh, and I said it again. And my dad just looked at me. He nodded his head with disappointment on his face. He said, okay. He said, why don't you go home? And I'll be home in a little bit. And I remember riding home, and JD was not a believer, not a good kid. He didn't know anything was wrong. My whole world had just ended, you know. And I went home, it was about two in the afternoon, and I got in bed, crawled in, and just started crying, you know. Dad, and my dad came home, and he sat on the end of my bed. I remember my dad asked me a couple questions. What's going on, son? 
What's going on? And he asked me questions, and I was crying and weeping, making you know, excuses, and he said, well, and I got grounded for a week. There was no spoon. I was a little bit older than that at the time. My dad walked me through it and disciplined me. And here's the deal. I had been praying for help. I didn't want to be that kid. I wanted help. I knew better. I'd gotten caught up in some weird stuff, gotten caught up with some bad influencers, and I cried out for help, and the Lord raised up a Midianite named Joe Frechette, you know, and he <laughs> came there and oppressed me in that way. And I'm thankful for it. Thankful for it. Notice what it says here in verse three. It says, whenever the children of Israel would sow, that the Midianites would come and take it. I need to say this with all sincerity. When we choose in our Christian lives to dabble in sin, to be just a little worldly, not a ton, but just a little bit, even your best efforts will come to nothing. Even your work to advance things and to do things. Because these principles don't obey any, they just, these principles don't change for anybody. And how many times have you heard a story of a prominent leader in the Christian faith, a pastor or an author or a musician that had a little secret sin, a little secret gig going on. And out of nowhere, all of a sudden that ministry crumbles and fails and everything that you work for will fall to the enemy if there's that compromise, that willing compromise. I'm not talking about a little mistake here and there and an issue and a struggle like we all deal with, but I'm talking with a chosen compromise, a chosen rebellion. The children of Israel fell into sin and idolatry and the enemy came and took everything that they worked for. They were greatly impoverished. Look at verse seven. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of the Midianites. Now, was it the Midianites that had caused all this problem? No, they were the symptom of the issue. God raised them up. My dad was not the problem, the grounding, which I remember that week. My friends would come over on the street. Luke, can you come out and play? Not today, you know, for a week. And my friends were wondering what happened. I was humbled. I was grateful. My, there was nothing. I, was, I, I, I deserved it. It was a beautiful gift to me. It taught me consequences. It was God's way of delivering me from the battle that I was facing alone at that time. The children of Israel finally cry out to the Lord for the Midianites. And I've already read this portion. This prophet shows up. Lord, the Midianites are bothering us. Lord, I got all these problems. Lord, I'm bankrupt. I have no friends. Lord, issues are falling. I'm lukewarm. I'm not happy. What's wrong with me? Lord's like, okay, I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to give to you the truth in mercy. Now, we're, we're going to land the plane here and end the service. I'm going to have Toby come up in just a minute. We're going to sing a song. But the Lord now delivers to the children of Israel truth in mercy. Truth without mercy is harsh. Okay? You know what? You did this to yourself. You did this to yourself. I know that. <laughs> mercy without truth is hypocrisy. This is where our world is right now. We just, want, we just want free hall passes. We want freedom. We don't want any consequences. Don't tell me I'm wrong. Don't, they can't say that. I'll sue you. I'll cancel you. I want mercy, but no truth. That is hypocrisy. But truth, this is what's going on. You did this to yourself. And mercy, okay, is God's grace for you and me. And God's grace delivers us and restores us. And God shows up to the children of Israel and says, okay, guys, here's the deal. Through this prophet, I delivered you from Egypt. Remember that? I, I caused all of the hand of the Egyptians to fail. I gave you the promised land. Remember that? I promised to drive the Amorites out. I promised to be with you. I promised to do all these things. I've actually done every single thing for you. 
but you have not obeyed my voice. Devastated. The truth, with mercy. This is what we're gonna call a teachable moment. Guys, read ahead with me. Toby, would you come up and lead us in a song of response? We're gonna take the time to do this because I want you to have an opportunity this morning to receive God's mercy and his truth. Look at verse 11. It says, now the angel of the Lord came and he sat under the terebinth tree, which is in Oprah, which belonged to Joash the Abizarite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you, mighty man of valor. Not only did a prophet of the Lord come and explain what had happened, but because they cried out to the Lord, I don't even know if they were truly sorry. They had remorse and regret because their situation was tough. We've all been there before. They're arrested. They got a Dewey. They have a parole officer. They got divorce papers. The doctor's calling now. The bankruptcy person's there. It's all falling apart. And we're like, oh no. And we cry out to the Lord. And the Lord in his grace comes to us and says, hey, teachable moment. Teachable moment. I want you to know something. I love you. Do you remember when I delivered you? Remember that? Remember when I saved you? So cool. I'd do it again. I'll do it again and again and again. I'm going to do it again. Because this is who I am. I'm a good God. And I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And when I saved you and delivered you the first time, I actually saw that this was going to happen. That's why I died. I saw it. Sometimes you're surprised by your sin, aren't you? Don't you get surprised? I can't believe I'm doing this again. And all the angels in heaven are like, we know. We know. God says, I know. But your sin will kill you. It'll destroy you. But the promises of God, the commandments of God, they're not burdensome. They are your pathway to freedom, your pathway to a life well lived, your pathway to fullness of joy. It's not in the compromise of this world. It's not in the rebellion of your heart. It's not in the ways of the evil one. It is in what God has called you to live for. And if you've been dabbling in your stuff, I'm gonna have the lights turn low at this time. Issues going on. Just know this, that the Lord is for you. And if you need that deliverance right now, you need that truth, but you need his mercy. You need his help and you need his touch. Maybe you're not down the rabbit hole. You're not using drugs. You're not looking at pornography. You're not going crazy, but you know you're just not hot. You're not where you need to be. And you're like, dude, what am I doing? If I don't deal with this now, after 40 years from now, I'm gonna have to pay for what I didn't do now. I don't wanna live that way. I want to go all in. Lord, would you restoke me? As a matter of fact, would you guys all just stand right now? Let's all stand together. And if you need this touch from the Lord, maybe you are looking at pornography. Maybe you are doing drugs and alcohol. Maybe you are all messed up right now. You're like, that's okay. I'm going to heaven. It's fine. Look, it's going to cost you. It's going to deceive you. It's going to hurt you. Even your hardest work, the Midianites just came and took that away. All the stuff that you're working for and hoping for, it's not going to produce fruit, principally. God says for you, you know what I want you to do? I want you to repent today. I want you to repent in Jesus' name. And if you need your fire stoked or you need to repent in Jesus' name, would you come to the altar right now? Just get out of your chair. Come to the front right now. Let's all crowd around. And just you and the Lord, this is between you and him saying, yes, Lord, I don't want to be lukewarm. I don't want to be cold. I don't want to be stagnant right now. Come on down, you guys. Join people in the front row and say, Lord, I need you to touch me right now. Maybe it's worse than that. Maybe there's a sin in your life. You're like, Lord, I don't know why I've been doing this, why I've been looking at that, why I've been dealing with that. Lord, would you forgive me? In Jesus Christ. Cry out to the Lord. Maybe you're suffering in some way right now and the Midianites are around you. You're like, yeah, thank you, Jesus, for that. Thank you for touching me. Thank you for loving me. 
Thank you, Lord, for not letting me go. He'll never let you go. He loves you too much. The kingdom of God is too valuable. He's coming soon and he's waking up his bride. He's doing a new work right now and he wants to transform and restore your soul right now. Maybe he just needs a restoration. You're tired, you're burned out. You just kind of, you're not reading the word in the morning. You're not worshiping freely. You're not serving, you're grumpy. You need some restoration. You need transformation. Come to the altar right now. And may, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name as we worship and sing this song that you would anoint, Lord, my brothers and sisters. Pour out your spirit upon them. Lord, in Jesus' name as we celebrate our independence nationally, Lord, we celebrate and declare our dependence on you. In Jesus' name, you're our king. You're our God. You're the right way, Lord. Your commandments are not burdensome. Make us, Lord, a church that loves you, that serves you, Lord, that keeps the things of the world out from us and anoint us, we pray. We need you to touch us right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Let's worship the Lord together. I'm gonna pray for some people. If you're a prayer warrior, would you come up front here and just pray for some people as well? And if you need prayer, come find me. I'd love to pray for you.